Greet you in the name of Jesus this morning, and uh, I just want to say I enjoyed the message that was giving on the blessings of leadership, and uh, I could I could relate with a lot of those. Um, I know it's something that's a little bit hard to talk about, maybe because we have these perceptions. Maybe we just over time have built them up and kind of. Um, don't really mean to do it. Maybe we feel apologetic about church leadership or not sure how to look at it if we're trying to support church leadership, but I think there's a real healthy way to look at it from the Bible, and there's some very real things that can be enjoyed and are real blessings. The topic this morning is found from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The title is by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this morning, I'd like for all of us to think about that a little bit. I don't know who you are necessarily. I mean, I know your, I know a lot of your names. But um, who are you is one question. Another thing is, who do you, who do you imagine yourself to be? You know, we have people that... that uh, maybe imagine themselves to be something that they're not. But we need to remember that the Apostle Paul went through that same thing. There was a time in his life where he imagined himself to be quite something. And now we're getting to this part here where he says, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And uh, he had been through a lot to get to that point. But I'll just read a couple verses here. In verse... uh, 9 and I'll just read 9 and 10. It says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. The focus of this topic is to find out um, the strength to be what we need to be. Whether we're leaders, particularly thinking about that this morning maybe, but the strength to support your leadership, the strength to be the person God wants you to be. Not the person you imagine yourself to be, but the person God wants you to be. Where do you find the strength to do what we're called to do, the strength to be what we're called to be in life? Where does your strength come from? There are many things, as we think about that topic, in the, we could look at in the Bible, uh, verses that come to our mind when we think about needing strength. Um, the psalmist says in Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. It's a familiar verse. I think we would all agree with that. The psalmist says in verse 46, chapter 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Um, We know about the power of faith. Jesus taught about faith, and I think that has often intrigued me and probably you as well. Um, The power of faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to move from here to there, and and it will move, or at... uh, a tree, a sycamore tree, to be uprooted and be planted into the sea. That is, that is dynamic amounts of energy 
in a little, we think of nuclear fission and, and uh, some of the batteries they've created over time, but faith, the power packed into a grain of mustard seed, We're, the power. You know, these, uh, these things, I, I know Philippians 4 verse 13, I've seen this a lot um, on, I don't know, maybe, maybe even athletes, people that I'm not going to question their religion necessarily, but I think it gets loosely used. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they go out and you know, hit a home run and Christ did that. I can do all things through Christ. And these, these are all true, no matter who says them or, or does them. But the problem is these things can all be reduced to just platitudes that you know, can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I am discouraged. I'm, I'm just feeling weak. I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help and read it on a plaque on my, my house. But where, where does the strength come to, to live life, a, a Christian life, and all the responsibilities? That's, you know, and the Apostle Paul, this is something that I think's really been uh, coming to me or, or become real interesting to me. But there, it seems like if you read the Apostle Paul, he, he becomes especially fascinated with this thing called grace. Grace. We want to explore that a little bit. I, I have no way in my limited mentality to really, really help very much uh, figure out what all grace is. But as Paul learned to know himself, as Paul learned to know his weaknesses and, and his strengths and who he was and versus who he thought he was, and as, as he began to think about his, maybe some of his terrible weaknesses in life. How he desperately needed help. He, he discovered grace. And um, I think about Paul. He says this here. You know, Paul was the type of person that put a tremendous amount of effort into his work. He, he says, I, I labored more abundantly than them all. And I don't think he was, he was bragging. I think he was saying... That, I tried everything. I worked hard. I, you know, he was more dutiful, more attention to detail, more, uh, you know, he, 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 he was diligent. He, the other places, he, he talks about running a race and fighting a fight, and that was maybe more on the spiritual level, but Paul just, of course, he wasn't married, and maybe he didn't, you know, he had all this energy, and maybe that's why he could say, honestly, I, I put in more time than everyone else. But he was, he was the type of person that did that. He, I think there's a lot of us that maybe fall into that category. You try hard. You know, you really, you really want to do this right. And, uh, but Paul said, it is not all that effort that I put into this, not all that laboring, but the grace of God. Yet by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And uh, it's not like Paul was saying any, like he wasn't saying without the grace of God, I'd have, I'd have been a pretty fair to middling guy anyhow. Paul said, I, I was just nothing without God's grace. You can read about it. I'm not going to all this, but 
everything I knew and thought I knew and, and did and accomplished was dung. And it wasn't until the grace of God that I, I became what I am. And uh, if we go on here in this same chapter, he goes, he goes a little further. He talks about the resurrection. I'm not going to read much of this, but he just says, If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain. Yea, and we be found false witnesses of God. And he goes on to say the futility of life without Christ, or we could say without, without grace of God in our life. And... Um, Every single one of Paul's letters, I found this interesting. You take all 13 of his letters, 14 of them if you count Hebrews. All of those letters end very much the same. It's like a signature way he ends the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Every single one of his letters he ends that. Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. And you think about all the admonition, all the things that he needed to tell these people, and especially uh, the, the the situations he needed to address. Think about the sin in First and Second Corinthians. You think about the instruction to. Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Very difficult situations in the training. It's grace you need. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It was how he closed all his letters. Grace is what you need. Grace is what makes you who you are. Grace is what empowers you in the time, gives you what you need in the time of need. Now, Peter, Peter and Jude, just for interest's sake, Peter and Jude also uh, sign off with a commendation of grace. Grace be multiplied to you. But it's almost like a signature way Paul does. You know, everybody's signature is different. And Paul has this certain way, if you study it, of writing off with this blessing of grace. You look it up sometime, but that's one reason I believe Hebrews, there's many reasons, but one reason I believe Hebrews is written by Paul, it ends in a very signature way. It's like he signs his name to it. Um, grace be with you all, amen. And there it is in Hebrews. But in Hebrews, in Hebrews 4 verse 16, Paul, I believe it would be Paul, he says, let us therefore come boldly into what? The throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul was fascinated with this word grace. Now, as we think about a source of strength, Often, we, we, can't, we can't talk about strength without talking about prayer a little bit. We all know that prayer is so vital to the Christian experience and so important. It is a source of strength. It is waiting on God like we heard in our devotional. It's a line of communication to God. And the power of prayer to bring God's impact and influence, for God to move on, in the hearts of people and events in, in, uh, in the world... 
Answer, answered prayer reveals the power of God in our lives, in the lives of other people, and, and even, even to interfere, we could say, with the course of nature to, in, in miracles. But the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. There's little doubt about that. He would pray to God, and God would answer. And beautiful answers to, to Paul's prayer. He, he requested prayer. He prayed for the churches. He, he prayed for men everywhere, and he told us to do it. Um, Paul was a man of prayer. He experienced the power of prayer. Pray, Paul said, without ceasing. That was, that's how Paul lived in prayer. If I was to ask you, what is your source of prayer, of power in your life, so you can enable you to be what you need to be, and you answered, my prayer life. You'd be right. It'd be a wonderful thing. We'd admire that, strive for that. One day Paul prayed. The Apostle Paul prayed a desperate prayer. He prayed a he prayed a pleading prayer. He prayed a persistent prayer. He prayed a passionate prayer. To God one day. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Would you please remove this thorn from me? And the answer to that prayer was grace. I will give you grace. I will give you grace. I won't answer your prayer the way you want it. But in place of that prayer being answered, that pleading, passionate, that desperate prayer of yours, I will give you grace. My grace is enough. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I don't know if anybody knows exactly what this was. The Apostle Paul was struggling with. There's been, there's been ideas. It was a physical ailment, maybe his eyes. It's what I grew up, and I, I don't know what it was. It was something he desperately wished would change in his life. I think all of us can relate with that. But one thing we know from these verses that we read that was given to the Apostle Paul from God, it says, there was given to him. There was, I don't understand, there was given to him the messenger of Satan to buffet him. lest he should be exalted above measure. 
I thought about Job. You think of all that was given to him in the, in the land he lived. He, he was given, it seems, so many blessings from God. Give, I, I didn't count it up. The thousands of camels, the thousands of sheep. What was it? Twelve children and a wife, a house that we know of. And one day, Satan and God are talking and Satan says, there's just one reason he serves you, and that's because you've given him so much. And we read that, how God unbars the door, and he gives Job, the messenger of Satan, to Buffett. And I don't know if it was for the same reason, lest Job should be exalted above measure. But that's what it was for Paul. I guess there's one thing I would never want to forget, and I don't think any of us here should forget. The simple truth is that the grace of God and the pride of man cannot exist together. The grace of God and the pride of man cannot exist together. And this thing of grace was so special, it was so important, it was so empowering that God blessed the Apostle Paul with a messenger of Satan to ensure humility in his life, that the grace of God would never leave him, that he would have the power it takes to face life. 1 Peter 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. The grace of God and the pride of man cannot coexist. And in his suffering, the Apostle Paul, he prayed the prayer of faith. He prayed the prayer of faith in Jesus' name. He pled with God three times. He, Paul was a powerful man of prayer. He pled with God. He prayed in faith. Would you please remember? And the answer came back, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. God said his grace was sufficient for all of Paul's sufferings, for everything Paul faced. My grace is sufficient. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. That if the grace of God is there, the power of Christ is upon me. I will gladly suffer my infirmities if I can have the power of Christ resting upon me, is what Paul was saying. God cannot use a proud man. I believe God will do anything and go to any lengths to help us with our pride, to get our pride out of a man's heart so that God's grace can be upon him. You think about this physical suffering of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not going to turn to that. And I'm not going to suggest that everything Paul suffered was because he was proud and God was trying to to humble him. I'm not going to suggest that for for any of us, that everything you face in life, I don't don't have the authority to assign that to you. If God speaks that to you, um, speaks that to your heart, 
But it seemed that that was the case with Paul, that God, God spoke that to his heart, and God wrote, Paul wrote it down in Holy Scripture for the rest of us to learn from and to read from. And so I think there's, there's really something there for us to think about. And when I think about all the things Paul suffered, he was beaten, five times scourged, 39 strokes across his back, three times beaten with rods, he was put into prison. Stoned and left for dead. Three times he was in shipwreck, the Bible tells us. I don't know if he was adrift much. We read a little bit about them. I don't know how close he was to drowning, how he felt. The fear. Evidently, for a night and a day, he floated in the deep, the Bible says. We would call that a drift on a life raft, or maybe it was a piece of lumber. Imagine what that was like. The Apostle Paul did all that. He suffered these things. He says, in journeyings often, in weariness of travel. He was more like a wandering emigrant than a tourist like we are used to today. His own countrymen were his enemies. He was robbed in robbers, the threat of robbers in the city and in the wilderness. He talked about the weariness, painfulness, the hunger he suffered, the thirst, the cold, and the nakedness. And the answer comes back, my grace is sufficient. And he says, beside all this, the care of the churches, my grace is sufficient. Imagine such a thing, the responsibility, the weight, the suffering. My grace is sufficient for thee. I'd like to ask you the question, is grace, as you understand grace... That word grace, as you understand grace, is it enough for you, for all your prayers, for all your suffering, for all your trials, for all the problems? If that was the answer you got for all your prayers that you ever prayed. To to the best of your understanding of whatever grace is, would that be enough? Would that be sufficient for you? Would you go away a satisfied person? I guess for me, as I, 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 I ponder these things, it's difficult for me to understand God. And I think of all the suffering through all the ages and all time and all the world, all around the globe. We read a little about but all the suffering in the world. The grace of God is sufficient. If, if men would ask for that, would that be enough? And I, I told you before I like history, but you think about the killing fields in Cambodia. Over one million people killed and buried there. Stalin starving, 40 million of his own people. All that stuff, my grace is sufficient. Tell all those people, I'll I'll give you grace if you suffer this. The gas chambers of Dachau and Auschwitz. Little babies and families separated and killed. One or two, my grace is sufficient. You went through all of that and I'll give you grace. The suffering of the dark continent I've been reading about in Africa today. Even now, what they call the blood diamond in Sri Lanka, the, 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 the incredibly brutal civil wars over those diamonds. The diamond is forever, the propagandists. Beer's diamonds, how they put them on their fingers to, to, for love. 
to, 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 as, a, as a symbol of forever. And they hacked and they chopped, they amputated, they killed whole families. My grace is sufficient for everything you suffered there in Sri Lanka. The ethnic wars of Rwanda were in just 100 days, 800,000 people were hacked to death. In just 100 days, they, 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 they estimate somewhere close to 90,000 children were left orphans. My grace is sufficient. For all that suffering, through all of time, my grace is sufficient. And even today, the terrible conditions in the Congo and the cobalt mines, they, they bring out the cobalt for our batteries, our phones, and our electric cars so California can be pollution-free. And children suffering and being buried in open mines. The terrible suffering, my grace is sufficient. Paul prayed about his suffering and the words came back, my grace is sufficient. And it makes one wonder, it makes one ponder, what really is grace? Whatever grace is, it's pretty clear it's a valuable commodity. It's a powerful element. In the eyes of God, it is what we need for our strength. And I think at this point in the message, it's proper for me to tell you, at least highlight the fact that the word grace, if you look that word grace up, there's quite a few meanings, but it literally means this. Grace is the divine influence of God upon the heart of man. Grace is the divine influence of God upon your heart. And I ask you the question, if you, every prayer you ever prayed was concluded with that, I will give my divine influence upon your heart as an answer to your prayer, would you be satisfied with that answer? Every amount of suffering you ever suffered, every trial you ever went through, every prayer you ever prayed... And the answer came back, the divine influence of Almighty God upon your heart is sufficient for you. Would you be satisfied with the answer to that prayer? When you read verses like Hebrews, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may attain mercy and find the divine influence of God upon my evil heart to help in time of need. I'll give up everything. I would suffer anything if that could forever be there. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God hath appeared unto all men, the divine influence of God upon the evil heart of a human being. The grace of God hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's what the divine influence of God upon the heart of man teaches us. I believe that grace, or the divine influence of God upon the human heart, is best understood in the context of the terrible ramifications of sin. 
We understand our own darkness, the darkness of the world, when we understand that. And what sin has done to the world, we can better understand and appreciate what grace is. The grace of God, sin, the absence. It's just the reverse. Sin is the absence of the divine influence of God on the human heart. And without that influence of God on the human heart, the world is a desperately wicked place. It is a desperately dark and depraved place. It is a powerless place. It is an empty place. It is a place without God's power. That is what this sin, the absence of God's divine influence on the human heart, is what ruined the world. It is, it is what is behind the bloodlust for diamonds in Africa, the unjust treatment of children in the cobalt mines, the fires that burn the bodies in Dachau and Auschwitz. It's what, it, it's what drove the hatred in the killing fields of Cambodia. Sin created all this in the heart of humanity. Just remove the, the, the divine influence of God from the face of the deep, from the face of the earth, as it hovered across there and brought out all the good and the beauty and the creation. And the Spirit of God hovered against the chaos and brought out all this beauty. It is sin that removed the divine influence of God on his creation and brought it all down. You think about the days of Noah, the evilest times in all of history, I believe. That's my personal opinion, basically uh, based on what Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the end times. And my logical mind, I think, well, we're not at the end times. We must not be as bad as Noah was, as Noah's day was. Hard to imagine the wickedness, the depravity of Noah's day. As it was in the day of Noah, and Genesis 6 tells us, and God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great. It was great on the earth. And that every evil imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man, and and it, it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man off the face of the earth, whom I have created, both man and beast and creeping thing, and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But... But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man where the divine influence of God was still at work. In that dark and depraved thing. What we're discussing in this topic is the power of God upon a man, upon you and upon a woman, to live the Christian life, to be what God wants you to be. But God found Noah, and Noah found God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found that that Noah found the divine influence of God upon his life. One man, the Bible says, one man that feared God 
And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says Noah was a just man. He was a perfect man in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Noah found grace. He found wisdom. He found strength. He found courage to warn, to preach, to build. He found the fortitude and the encouragement he needed. He found all that when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think to help us maybe further understand grace a little better is when we think about what happened when that boat was built. Before the rain came down, before the door was shut, an invitation was given. God was not willing that any should perish. And the grace of God, the opportunity to repent from their wickedness, the grace of God appeared unto all men for a moment. Grace of God appeared unto all men in the form of a man preaching, in the form of a boat on the plain of Shinar. The grace of God penetrated the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But that's one of the things that's beautiful about God's grace. We live in a day of grace. The divine influence of God is open for everyone. And then one day, many thousands of years later, man called Jesus, a baby was born, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He was the Messiah because he will save his people from their sins. John chapter 1, I guess we could turn to that. John chapter 1. It's probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful Bible uh, chapters in the Bible. I think it's one of the most beautiful Christmas stories in the Gospels, if you can understand it. John chapter 1. You think about this in the context of grace and Noah's day. I guess we could just read it there. It says uh, in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we all have received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth 
came by Jesus Christ. Imagine an experience, such the, 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 the very Son of God, the, 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 the very influence of divinity upon earth as he walked this earth and performed those miracles and, and the power that was shown. It was grace for grace. It was grace and truth. And he gave us the power to become the sons of God to as many believed on his name and, and as many as, as had this divine influence of God upon our evil hearts. He gave us power to become the sons of God. And the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended grace for grace, grace and truth. And then he was here for like 33 years, 30 years. Before he left, he told his disciples this promise, this promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. It was a promise of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and all the uttermost parts of the earth. And we heard quite a bit of discussion about what it takes to be a leader, to preach, and to, to, to administrate, but to be a witness for Christ takes the power of God. It takes the power of God. And ye shall receive power after that the grace of God has taught you the denying ungodliness that you should live righteously in this present world. After that grace has taught you you shall receive power to be witnesses. After that. And until then, it's not power. It's activity, it's motion, it's knowledge, experience, but it's not power. And when we moved to Madras, where we, our outreach was, a little over five years ago, and, and everything was unfamiliar. We moved to a new place. Everything was unfamiliar. The area, the roads, the way of doing things, the way they farmed. And I drove around. I wanted to see what this place was like. I explored the different roads. You got to enjoy the area. One day I was driving just a few miles from my house, come to an intersection, and there's a very beautiful house on my left, and on my right was this old barn. Old barn, I don't know, it had to be 70 years old, built, I guess, before they had setbacks, right close to the road. And this barn door, is the, the, the barn was there, and the barn door is open, and in the, the doorway of this barn was a big diesel engine, big, big Cummins engine, I think it was, I'm not sure, that could have been a cat, big big diesel truck engine was sitting there right in the doorway running. I, I never saw a big diesel engine. I don't, know why would, I don't know what they were doing in there. Why did they have that power source sitting there in the barn door by the road? And a couple weeks later, a couple months later, I drove by, went by that intersection, and that big diesel engine was running, still running. 
And after a couple of months of this, maybe half a year of this going by there, and this big diesel engine is running in this barn door by the road, I stopped my pickup there, this intersection. I backed up close to that diesel engine. I wanted to see if someone was there, what they were doing. I rolled down my window. It was dead silent. The only thing I could hear was the sound of the wind going through that radiator fan. I don't know how many years it had been doing that, how many decades that engine had been sitting there running like that. No power, no crankshaft, no camshaft, no power being generated, no no fire in the cylinders, no fuel. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Many times since I've been to that intersection. Many times since I've tried, and I've tried so hard. And I've labored more abundantly than I thought anyone else was, and I was dutiful. Attempt to get results and to feel the presence of God and to be consistent and and the hard work and I had to somehow please God and one day I was struggling with discouragement and weakness and all these things and Ephesians 2 verse 8 for by grace are ye saved for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created unto Christ Jesus, unto God good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And the Apostle Paul was human just like us. He labored more abundantly than all. And and, and the answer to his prayer by the grace of God, I am what I am. The grace of God, I am what I am. I, I guess I could have preached a message to Jerry, how much time it takes to study, and how much prayer it takes, and how much patience. But the problem with telling this to Jerry is he's done this longer than I have. He knows all this. And the problem with telling it to George is he's older than me, and... and thing about telling the church about grace is that we all know where the power comes from. To get along, to have harmony, so that the light can shine in Creston. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I think we'll have a closing